this episode of Common Sense Amia, we'll be talking to an entrepreneur, and this is a first, someone who left the calling of God to get into the cannabis industry. What the hell? Today's guest is the founder and CEO of Lavinia, a sexual wellness cannabis brand that combines the powers of THC and CBD into a sexually enhancing lubricant. You are bound to see a blushing host a few times throughout this interview. Katie Enright, welcome to Common Sense Amia. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so before we dive into sex stuff, first blush, uh, I want to go to a really important topic to me. So I grew up in Rhode Island, um, which is a state. Uh, most people don't know that. It's a state. It was one of the first, in fact. Um, I lived in New York City for a solid chunk of my life. Two places that are very rich in pizza. Uh, so before we get too ahead of ourselves, I'd like to hear from a Chicagoan who lives in LA about why deep dish deserves its place at the top. So this is maybe the most important question anyone has ever asked me. And You're welcome. You uh, so I have really high standards for pizza. Are you not a deep dish fan? I, I take from the question that you, well, actually I'm a new, I, you know, I'm a New York guy, so it's not that I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it pizza. Right. I would call it a casserole, but I'm also an ignorant New Englander. So uh, who wants a thin slice of pizza that I can fold in half and eat while I'm freezing to death and then wring the grace out? Oh, God. Or maybe a na I don't do the napkin on top, but I've seen people do that. You That's know, dab funny. it with a napkin. You know what I mean? I, yep, totally. I love deep dish. Uh, what's funny is that my parents are native Chicagoans and they don't like it. So I think that even in Chicago, deep dish is a controversial issue. Um, but I love it. The thing about deep dish is you have one piece and you are full and like can't move. Um, mm. So you do have to take that into consideration if you're going to do deep dish on a date, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, but I just love the cheese and the, I just, this, the whole situation is amazing. So the thing is, I moved to L.A. and L.A. has terrible pizza. I have mm -hmm. not found a uh, satisfactory pizza place. I, I go to Lucifer. I've heard this about L.A. I mean, it's L.A. is terrible. infamous for bad pizza and bad bagels. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's true. I don't know. I don't understand why we don't have good pizza. And there are some Chicago pizza places like a Geno's East just opened up. But the wait was like an hour and a half. And I, I don't trendy. have that time. Yeah, too trendy. What's the... What's the guy, Sal? What, what's the famous pizza, Chicago pizza guy? Do you know uh, Illuminati's? About? Illuminati's. Okay, so uh, there's this app called Gold Belly. Are you aware of Gold Belly? This is a free plug for Gold Belly. So you can go on Gold Belly, which is just an app, and it's food delivery, but it's food delivery from Illuminati, you know, you know, Chicago pizza from Chicago, and they freeze it. But you can get pizza from home. You could have it on your, you know, you could have it for dinner. What's today? Wednesday, Friday night pizza. You could have it right from, from the spot for sure. Is that, is that like seven, is it like $700? No, I think it's like twice the cost of a pizza. Done. Yeah. I, yeah Gold belly. Check it out. We'll link it in Done. the description below. Gold belly. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know it, but they sponsored this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'll be a clip. We'll send them. <laughs> Uh, so I want to start at the beginning, which is where all good stories start. Um, so we got to start at the beginning. Most of my guests are former entrepreneurs or weed growers who have decided to move into legal cannabis under some entrepreneur, new entrepreneurial venture, a whopping zero of them were studying to become a nun and then quit to pursue a life in, in the cannabis industry without spoiling the ending of how that story ended. Can you kind of walk us through your life as a religious person? Um, I'm interested in the spiritual calling that you received, because that is something that I think entrepreneurs can relate to. Um, and you've had it twice. Yeah. Wow. That's, um, yeah, that's such a good question. So, uh, for me, I really wanted to be of service to people and that's kind of why I decided to pursue being a nun is I really wanted to work in orphanages. I really wanted to give kids uh, a better opportunity, an opportunity that they maybe wouldn't have, um, and, and give them like a good foundation and a strong upbringing to life. That's kind of where my, uh, calling came from. What I realized well, why, that why I don't, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to interrupt you, but I'm going to, 
Um, no, do it. <laughs> why that? So, so, and again, I'm, this is not judgment. I'm just trying to understand very rarely when a, you ask a little kid what they want to be when they grow up, do they say a priest or a nun or a rabbi or whatever? They usually say, I want to be a fireman or a policeman or, or a nurse or a doctor or whatever. So there's a million ways that you could have been of service um, to communities, to people. Why was Jesus such a driving force in that and not medicine or something like that? Yeah, I guess, you know, it's interesting because everybody has a different relationship with religion. And what I'm realizing as an adult is a lot of people's relationship is quite negative. They had a quite negative experience where this is something that was forced on them. This is something that they had to do. This is something that they were judged heavily in, that they feel like the environment wasn't kind. And um, and that was the exact opposite experience that I had. So I had a really wonderful experience um, in in my religion, in in my pursuit of God. My parents are really kind and loving, and it was never anything that I felt like was forced on us. It was just um, kind of told to us, and and um, it was our option to believe it or not. And so, Hmm. and part of it too, is just like innocence, right? Like just pure innocence of like, I just wanted to be of service. Hmm. Like I really loved Bible study. I really loved taking part in religious rituals um, and rites of passage. And again, I understand that that actually, a lot of people have um, a lot of trauma associated with that. And that's, that's really sad. You know, that really bums me out a lot. Um, But so that's kind of it for me. What I was going to say is that I think what I realized is that you can be of service to people um, and not have to take a vow of celibacy, a a vow of poverty and a vow of obedience. Like those are pretty serious vows that as an adult, um, I kind of rebelled against. Those are those are vows that I wasn't interested in pursuing. Um, And I honestly feel like I still am uh, in service of people because. I still I I, I think that uh, a sexual experience is so important. And because I've come from like the super uh, conservative religious upbringing, I understand the the thoughts and the philosophies of why you don't want to talk about it and why, you know, you don't have sex until marriage. Like I understand um, from that point of view, but I also understand how important it is and why it's vital that we have these conversations and how you can get married to somebody as a virgin and then as it, not, not experience a, a healthy sexual experience, you know, and, and not have uh, that's such an important relationship with you and your partner. And sometimes it's bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes you're not sexually compatible with somebody. And what do you do in that situation if you find yourself in a marriage where you've made commitment vows and you're not sexually satisfied and you feel frustrated? And um, it's shocking to me how many women I've talked to that have never had an orgasm. And I'm talking like 35-year-old women that have never experienced sexual pleasure and they're, I got to pause like, and go to ask my wife something real quick. I'll be yeah. right back. <laughs> You're a funny man. Will. That's I'm back. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Very funny. Um, so anyways, so yeah, so I feel like now I'm actually more in service to people than I probably would have been if I would have become a nun, which I think is hilarious. Well, um, I will definitely get to kind of the end of that in a minute, but um, I, I, I am curious about um, kind of rationalizing. So some, I studied religion in college. I, I, I didn't grow up particularly religious. Um, my family, we went to church every Sunday until I went to college. Um, but church was an opportunity to talk to girls mostly right for me like that's where all okay girls yeah i have really to tell like. you this so i went to public school and i went to catholic school uh-huh. the people in catholic school are so much naughtier than the people in public school oh, it's unbelievable like I know. sexual acts when i w- were like not even talked about in public school like no one did it in in <sighs> In Catholic school, they're like, you know, you're you're making your skirt go higher. You have to have the nuns will measure three inches. I mean, it's it's very funny because I, I have a very distinct because I grew up going to public school too, and I have a very distinct memory of the summer before, uh, what would it have been, fifth or sixth grade, whatever it is, where we went from the you know elementary school into the you know, middle school. Right. And I remember that summer because I was like, there were 
three. So I lived, I lived a half a mile from the public school that I went to and a quarter of a mile from the parochial school down the road. And, you know, it, it was in the town. It was all, I knew all the people cause we all played sports together, whatever. So I knew who was at that school. And I have a distinct memory of being like, I cannot wait for these two girls to like leave St. Luke's and come to Barrington <laughs> high school or middle school. Like I was like those St. Luke's girls, <laughs> I was like six or not yeah. six, but it's going into sixth grade, you know, like, um, so I, yeah, I know those St. Luke's girls. <laughs> but it's interesting, right? Because I think that that does kind of speak to the culture of like when you repress it so much, right? When you make it such a taboo issue, you can't even speak of it. Like it's a rubber band effect. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> it comes Same with back. cannabis, right? Yeah. I mean, that yeah. exists. And we'll get to the kind of the duality that exists uh, that you currently live in of, of uh, working into um I'm going to call them high risk because financially and from a corporate standpoint, that's what they are, but two yeah. high risk, you know, the duality of working in two high risk industries is uh, we'll get into that. Um, but, but I'm kind of curious about, um, so like I said, I, I, I grew up going to, to um, church. I didn't really take it too seriously, but when I went to college um, I can't remember the exact reason why I, I flunked a philosophy course and was not ambitious enough to do anything kind of more challenging uh, than that. And I was interested in religion, but also was a Lord of the Rings nerd. So I was like, oh, I'll study religion. <laughs> and I was a religious studies major in college. Um, and the things that, and, and that actually ended up hugely, it definitely was the final nail in the coffin for my kind of interest in religion in pursuing religion, um, like as a person, you know what I mean? Uh, there was, a just an inability to draw logic through just, you know, the age old spiritual philosophical, philosophical questions. Like if there's a God, why is there so much suffering? Um, you know, et cetera. So that was the sort of thing that kind of led me also weed and girls, right. That kind of was like, all right, I don't need to go to church anymore. I have all this thing. I have this kind of figured out. So I'm curious if that was not so much the weed and the girls, but kind of what was that, what was that experience for you kind of coming out of religion being such a driving force of your life? Yeah. Well, I think that was a long rambling question and I apologize, but there are, there are, there are, there are things that happen to us. There are meteors that hit us planets as we going through this, as we, you know, we go through the solar system and try to evolve as humans. And one day we start off as a, a nun and the next day we're selling, you know, cannabis sex lube. And one day you're going to church every weekend with your family. And the next you're a, a religious studies scholar and you, you know, have been, you know, embittered or jaded, you know what I mean? So I'm just kind of curious yeah. where, where that yeah. left you. Totally. You know, honestly, God is still a really important part of my life. So I never had the moment where there was like a nail in the coffin. I'm walking away from this. I think that my mind expanded a lot. And again, I think that it has to do with with your experience of religion. Like it's never been something that's been a, a negative thing in my life. So it's yeah. never been something that's gone away. Um, and I understand for so many people that it is a negative thing in their life. And that that's really sad. Um, but I think that it is like... I kind of, to be really honest with you, I feel like I'm doing God's work. Like, I feel like having these conversations, um, cannabis is amazing. Like cannabis, I can't, I like get teared up and want to cry right now when I talk about how amazing it is. And I feel like that is a gift from God. <laughs> yeah. You know, the same thing with mushrooms, like they're natural, they grow in the, this is a gift from God. And this plant like heals so many people and, um, me, you know, mentally, physically, like uh, it, it, it is so amazing. So I feel like it's kind of been, um, uh, you know, it has has been perverted in in terms of like the the smear campaign that came against cannabis where we now call it marijuana in the 30s and like when you look at the history of cannabis it's very interesting but i feel like i feel like that's it cannabis is a gift from god 100% that's awesome i agree with you so take us to the end what a spoiler alert it was a boy talk us through the end of your journey to being a nun Oh, spoiler alert. It was, I was like, 
wait, am I pregnant? What are you talking about? It's a boy. <laughs> this is like a gender reveal. Spoiler alert. It's a boy. Um, yes. The reason why I didn't become a nun is a boy. Why yes. aren't you a nun? <laughs> so uh, his name is Francois. His actual, his last name, which I don't know if I can call him out, but he's a Belgium knight. Uh, his fr- last name is Hymans, which I think is very funny. That um, is funny. And he... <laughs> Uh, that is yeah. a classical, that is a classically funny joke. It is, right? And you almost yes. can't write it. Like this whole story, if you read it, you'd be like, that's not true. That can't be true. Um, but he, I met him um, when I was dis- doing my discernment in Ireland. And um, we drove throughout Italy together. And I met classic, him. Classic nun meets Belgian night story. <laughs> classic. It's it's very classic. And so we met in Rome and I was praying in the Sistine Chapel and I felt like this, like God was saying, like, listen, if you don't want to be a nun, you don't have to. Because part of it was I felt a little bit obligated because I felt like no one was going into this anymore. And like all the nuns and priests were going to die off. It was up to you and to so, save Christianity. Exactly. Which You're is like a- Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I get it. Exactly. Exactly. And then uh, I felt this re- this relief. And, and then, um, you know, then I, I then Francois and I again drove all throughout Italy and then drove, did all the things. And and um, and that's when I was like, oh, there are there are there are like. Really good uh, partners out there, you know, because before that, I was kind of uh, not to, boys not to are hot. <laughs> Boys are hot, but also American men and European men are very different and their approach to dating. is very different. Um, whereas like, uh, American men are very, um, I don't know how to say this nicely. And say I'm it. Say it on nicely. So I should not <laughs> call them out. They're not as romantic. They're not as. How uh, controversial Katie was. and right. Not as rom- Americans. Next, you're going to say we're fat. So. so no, no, I wasn't going to say that. I mean, we are, but I wasn't going to say that. Um, so like Francois, for example, every night would write me a love poem and would make me dinner. And then every morning would uh, wake me up by knocking on my door with uh, fresh press, like coffee and like yes. Nutella and toast every morning. And so, so every you're night living a in a Hugh Grant movie. A hundred percent. But I yeah. think that that's what it's like dating European men. They might okay. cheat on you. But that's the trade. <laughs> they'll chain smoke three packs of cigarettes today and they'll cheat on you. They'll have a whole secret family <laughs> in Germany. You won't know about them, but they'll make you breakfast in bed. <laughs> I mean, every morning and they'll write you love letters. My sweet little Catholic American girl. And everyone's like, did you bone him? And I'm like, no, I was going to be a nun. You don't go from being a nun to like boning somebody in like a day. You know what I mean? It's very funny. That's everyone's second. Well, When I gave up, when I gave up my journey to become a nun, I was, I was boning that afternoon. <laughs> I did not waste any time. Um, love is it, men. They're, we're a crazy, crazy bunch. We are. We are, we are capable of uh, making even Jesus take a back seat. Um, so way to go, European men specifically. European um, Belgium. He spoke be- five uh, languages. Oof. And then when he uh, got mad at me, it was so great. He's so hot. He I don't even know what he looks like, but he's hot as hell. I can. I, I want him. Yeah, yeah 100% yeah. he is. And he would go off on me in like French, which to me, I don't know what <laughs> So like this, his insults are doing nothing to me. And also, yeah, he's- yeah. meanwhile, he's saying the rudest shit ever. <laughs> <laughs> you stupid American Catholic girl. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite love story? Oh, I don't know. You know, I, I am a real sucker for when I go home for Christmas, my mom and I do the Hallmark love things. And what about mom- real life ones? I know. I'm trying to think of a real life one. I got one uh, for you. You ready? Okay, go. Yeah. Edward the Eighth. Do you know who he is? I've heard of him, but please refresh me. Edward. So Edward the Eighth was the uh, uh, uncle of the queen who just passed away. He was King Edward uh, until he abdicated the throne, or like you know, uh, I don't know, shortly before World War II, right? So maybe the late 30s or something like that. He abdicated from the throne because he was he fell in love with an American woman, right? Yes, so in the same way that uh, uh, Prince Harry 
fell in love. You know what's happening right now with the with the royal house and Prince Harry and Meghan Markle is is an echo of of something that happened to Harry's grand uncle, great grand uncle Edward mm-hmm. VIII. So Edward VIII had to give up the throne. He gave it to his brother, uh, King George, who whose daughter was Queen Elizabeth, um, and. Uh, if you've never watched the crown, it's fabulous. I would definitely recommend it, but this, this kind of uh, details this part of the story, but um, Edward the eighth was ostracized from the family in the same way that uh, Harry is right now. Um, and was stripped of all titles and land and all that shit. They took it all away from him because he had to be with this woman, but he was with this woman until, you know, forever for the rest of their lives, they were together. Um, and he had to face incredible scrutiny in in order to make this decision of do I abdicate the throne of the the most powerful monarchy that's ever existed in the history of humanity for this woman that I love? And the answer was, of course, he did. So he experienced crazy backlash, like his family mostly never spoke to him again. I'm curious when you were kind of making these huge decisions to, you know, and you were, you were young. So you're, you're, who knows what they're doing when they're, you know, in their late teens, early twenties, whatever those, those decisions are bound to change. But similarly to Edward the eighth, do you feel like you um, gave something up? Were you, did you face any, any like internal, or, I mean, you, you said that you heard God tell you that you didn't have to be a nun anymore, but was it, was it more difficult than that? About not becoming also a my favorite love story. No, uh, that's your favorite love story. Yeah, I love that one. So wait, so how do you feel about Megan and uh, uh, Henry? Oh, I don't give two shits about them because uh, you know they're they're contemporary, and I'm watching it happen in real time. And you know the media, but this is you know I look at it in uh, in movies and and old newspaper articles, and it's just like. You know, meanwhile, Edward VIII was maybe a Nazi, who knows, but um, <laughs> probably not the greatest guy, probably shouldn't have been the king of England, but um, he, you know, he, he made some big decisions for love. Yeah, yeah, it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah, um, uh, Still a good you love know, story. No, actually, once I decided not to, and then kind of, uh, uh, I really came at, it became really at peace with that decision and was not, it, it, I've never once looked back. It's very funny because I did, uh, I was married once and I did get divorced and my mom was like, it's not too late for the nunhood. And I was like, yep, nope, <laughs> I think we're good. You can I, always I, go back. I know. <laughs> I was well, like, let's let's put a, let's, turn all the priests. That's probably not. I probably wouldn't. Succeed. Yeah, they don't want you back. Your your <laughs> ship is sailed. The ship is sh- sailed. God said you didn't need to be here, so um, that's all the authority I think you needed for that. So that's interesting. Like just you know, working for the first part of your life to reach one goal, only to experience life and realize that that's not what you wanted. Yeah. But, you know, that's kind of I think that that's the beautiful thing about life is we all have patterns. We all have thoughts. We all have experiences. And it's all the things that we're exposed to. Right. And then as life happens, you know, as life continues on, we're exposed to so many different new, exciting things. And it causes our thoughts to change. Right. Like we could have a bias or something about a a specific topic or issue or person or whatever. And then as you experience life, you realize like, Oh, you learn and you grow and, and you become every experience that you've had enhances your next experience, you know, because it's it's yeah. influenced by experience. And so it's like it's it's very fun because I look back at my life and I'm like, wow, I was such a different person back then. But that person really uh made me make decisions about the person that I want to be now. And now I'm making decisions about the person I want to be in the future. You know, like if I see a trait that I'm like, Oh, I really don't like that trait myself. Like I'm going to really, I'm going to really work on that trait to not, to not do that, to not communicate like that or not do this or whatever, whatever the trait might be. And so it's kind of fun because you can live your life without ever making choices, without ever making decisions, without like your life can happen to you or you can take active uh, approaches to it and stances to it and actively, you know, choose the life that you want, which I think is super, super cool. So when you, when you came back from that, that trip abroad um, and your, you know, perception perspectives, maybe values, I'm not sure, but some major shifts had happened in your life. And now you came back home. 
what did you see? What was the opportunity? What did you think was next? You know, it wasn't going to be the church anymore. You know, that's a great question. I didn't really know. Um, But, you know, I was kind of exposed. uh, I hate to use the word sheltered because I had like a really beautiful um, childhood. Um, But it was, you know, I grew up in in Lombard, Illinois, and I went to school in Elmhurst, Illinois. Um, I, you know, the the study abroad program really opened my eyes as to like the opportunities of the world and people all around the world. Uh, You know, there's, I was a communication major, and there's a thing called groupthink, right, where it's like when you get too many people of the same ethnicity, the same age, the same gender in a room, how like, uh, there's no progress made, right? You need the, the influence of other people, of other experiences, of other other cultures, of other religions, of other um, uh, languages, you know, like you need all of that. I think it's, it's, it's enhances everything so much to have all of that. So I kind of, when I came back, I didn't exactly know what I was going to do. But I knew that that, like I had come to peace with not going down that path anymore. That makes sense. What did you do? That's a great question. So I, uh, it was something new, right? I like you, your, your focus had been on this one thing, you know, yeah. presumably. Yeah. Well, for... I had minored in theater um, and I really mm-hmm. loved TV and film work. So I actually decided to pursue that. And, um, and I moved to LA to become an actor. And, um, and then what's so cool is we're talking about like how passions, uh, like one path leads to another path. Yeah. So I pursued acting and then I actually discovered a love for directing. Um, so then I started pursuing directing and then COVID happened and I was like in pre-production for a short film and it shut everything down. And then I was kind of like, you know, also to be honest, like I love cannabis. I'm just such a huge fan of, of cannabis. Um, and I was, I was a bartender for like 14 years and I was like a mixologist. I was the head mixologist. So I was in charge of creating fancy cocktails. It's very funny because mixologist is a very controversial term because instantly people think you're snooty. Sounds snooty, Katie and right? It does. (laughs) But like, you know, so, but it's true. That's what it is. Well, it allows Uh, you to charge, you know, an extra couple of bucks for (laughs) a Manhattan or whatever, you know? Exactly. Well, it's just like cooking, right? Like you need the, you need an executive chef to come in and tell you what ingredients to put where, and then you're, you know, you hire somebody to to cook it. So that's, that made me sound even worse. That made me sound even (laughs) easier. So I'm going to take that back. Um, So then I was uh, in charge of creating cocktails. And oh, so I started to make THC cocktails. And this was like five years ago when that was like not, there were like barely any beverages on the market. Now there's such great beverages. There's can, there's so many different brands that are amazing. Um, But at the time there really wasn't. So I would make a margarita that had tequila. And then I would put like, I don't know how I would put like THC I would put like uh, THC that was in coconut oil. Like I'd extract mm-hmm. the THC in coconut oil and just put it in, which of course it didn't emulsify. So like the THC no. is like floating on top, but I didn't care. Right. Cause it was like, and then you have oh, cool. one and you're like drunk fantastic. and high. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fantastic. Um, and I thought initially I would do something in beverages. You're the Lord's work. <laughs> I really are. Um, and so I initially thought I would do something in beverages and I looked into doing it if this was like a legal thing. And it was like, yeah. it's super illegal. I mean, it's right. super illegal to have alcohol sold in a dispensary. Yeah, it's, super, unlicensed. You know, it's, right. it's like there's three different laws that are impenetrable that you cannot, <laughs> you know, go around and break. And so I was like, all right, well, um, I was trained for a marathon. I think you probably know this, this part already. Take me through it. I was going to ask you, yeah, I was going to ask you like where cannabis came into your life. I mean, being in LA is for sure a good enough answer. Like you just say, I live in LA, duh. Um, But I think it's probably more than that. It a hundred percent is more than that. So um, I was training for a marathon and I, it was my second marathon and my first marathon, I didn't incorporate recovery and I injured myself like a, a, a month before the marathon. It was terrible. The recovery was terrible. I don't know why I did it a second time because the first time was not <laughs> you're glutton for punishment. <laughs> I think it's like when you have kids, like you, they say you forget all the pain and everything. And yeah, that's yeah. Like, oh, I need a fifth one. <laughs> <laughs> really round out the um, team. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was training for my second marathon and I, you know, part of it is like you go through and you um, come up with the schedule of like the miles that you're going to run this day and that day and your recovery and all the things. So you have like a schedule. So every day you kind of know how you're going to train. And yeah. I just decided when I was coming up with the schedule that I was also going to incorporate recovery into it. <clears throat> And that's when I cut to cannabis. And again, I was kind of making my own. I was futzing around in the kitchen with like making cannabis products anyways. And so once I decided to incorporate recovery, I started making balms for myself, for like my back and my knees. And, um, you know, and that's kind of when I started to really incorporate cannabis on a pretty daily basis because training for a marathon is very rigorous and very hard on your body. Um, and then when I... I read that you could use it as a sexual enhancing experience and I tried it and I was like, geez, Louise, this is something special. It is something special. That's for sure. Uh, cannabis and sex is kind of seem like the devil's work to me, Katie. I'm right. But I'm, I, I'm more curious about, so you, how did you, you got that devil's lettuce. I want to know about, so you you kind of glossed over it a little bit, but, and I'm probably projecting. I'm definitely projecting. Okay. So don't okay. take anything I'm saying as I'm talking to you. I'm projecting myself into this situation. If I grow up the the person who's on the pathway to become a priest, because I'm not a woman. <laughs> so I'm becoming a priest, right? I'm studying day in and day out. <clears throat> I've probably formed judgments on how people absent of God live their lives. You see where I'm going here? You where does, people. huh? You shouldn't, I was just, I said, you, you shouldn't judge, judge people. people. I know this. It's an impossible human trait that I'm working through many hours of therapy to rid myself of. But again, I'm projecting that I've, you know, I'm, I'm, and forget religion. I'm working to do something in particular. And I have, therefore uh, created a whole structure of rules based on what I, my personal goals and values and whatever as to how one should live their life, right? Pious, charitable, whatever. Um, but now you're in a, you know, so I'm again, projecting that maybe you can relate to that. Um, and then you come to LA, which is not church um, and cannabis is there. So I'm curious of how you kind of broke out of the mentality of religious Katie, who um, is open to trying these things that potentially projecting uh, past Katie would not have been so cool with yeah, like cannabis just, and sex and bartending for 14 years and getting yeah. people drunk and that's yeah. those sorts of things. Yeah. It's interesting. I, you know, I, I really try, even when I was super religious, I really tried not to judge people um, because it's so easy to do, but we all have like a different circumstance and situation that's happened in our life that's made us react the way that we're reacting. Um, yeah. I think the hardest part for me is like, I think it's really, it's really easy to objectively look at people and just be like, oh, I'm not going to judge. But it's like when somebody's in your life, in your present life and they're driving nuts yeah. And it's like, oh, they're so that, and it's like so easy for me to say, like, well, they're this way because of this. Um, but this is making sense. I feel like this is not yeah, making no, totally. I, and, uh, and also, let me say a another rambling, maybe not so direct question I asked you, but <laughs> so yes, you're doing fine. <laughs> but so so it's hard because like I never, I, as a super religious person, there were certain things that I think I was pretty judgmental on. Um, but that kind of after, after Ireland, that kind of all washed away. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the impression I'm getting. Like there was, you know, and I'm using a metaphor, but like this earth shattering thing that was like, oh, you know, it's like being, you know, Neo having the plug pulled out from the back of his head and being like, oh, I'm, this is real life. You know, this is, there's all this stuff that's been happening around me that not that I haven't been paying attention to, but I've just been focused on this this thing, like this pathway to God, you know, my whole yeah. life that I didn't notice that there was all this stuff happening around me. Right. Like that's what I'm getting at. So now you're noticing like there's this, there's life, there's a whole world around you. Yeah. And someone hands you a joint or whatever. Yeah. Like yeah. what was, what was that? Um, 
So, well, it's very funny. Um, two things. Can we go back two seconds, though? Yes. Like, yes. True, Take me back five true, seconds. True religious people, though, that really is like if, if the problem is, is that there are so many people and this is going to be judging. I'm going to be judging That's right okay. now. There's so we're, many people in religion that are not actually practicing the religion in terms of like you're really not supposed to judge people. Like if you look at Christianity, like 10 times in the Bible, it says don't judge me. Ju- don't judge unless you want to be judged. Like, be judged. Really? Exactly. So like the true spirit of Christianity isn't toxic and and judgy and mean and uh, like right. oh, it's always bad pr it's bad pr it's right wing like you know and it's right a hard part sometimes uh, yes exactly and sometimes i have a really hard time with religious people and i think that that's what people that have experienced a lot of trauma in religion it's the people that are not tr- truly yeah. practicing what they're preaching or what the oh. organization that they're a part of because like i've met so many amazing religious people that are like the nicest, kindest, non-judgmental, like there's, um, you know, uh, yeah. So anyways, um, so that kind of was always my experience. Like I was really not exposed to people that were, uh, that awful. Maybe I was actually, I'm thinking back and I was like, well, in Bible study, this one girl talked a lot of shit about this other girl. <laughs> that bitch. That bad bitch. Oh, she had it coming. <laughs> she had it coming. <laughs> That's very funny. Um, but what was the second part of the question? Oh, the joint. So I remember trying, wanting to try uh, cannabis in high school, but uh-huh. I was kind of dorky. And I remember like, it was obviously super legal. And so there were like markers. Oh my gosh, this is so funny. So there were markers and they would put the joint, they would take this part out and they would put the joint yeah. in the marker. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, Those? I used to use big, the, the big pens, you know, like the clear big pens. Nice, nice. Or the white ones. And somebody once, a, a guy wanted to get some and asked me if I could get it for him. And I was like, yeah, totally. Because I knew somebody else that I could get it. And uh, I was too nervous. So like I kind of almost became a drug dealer in high school. And I think like I was Imagine just too nervous that. to do it. I know. Yeah, I know. that makes sense. I, sh- I was just too scared to get it. It's a trouble. lot of pressure for you. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was it was too intense. But um, so I tried smoking. You, and you, you weren't like you d- you were interested. It was something you had been interested in growing up. Yeah. Curious. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. You know, and, but then it's like, it's like, it was like really illegal then. You know what I mean? Like you, you, I was there. I remember one, one joint and it's like, you're in the slammer for years. You know, I used to walk five miles into the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere just to smoke joints. And I used to still think that there were, you know, a SWAT team would repel out of the trees. Yeah. Like I remember this is a tangent, but have you ever watched the show Moonshiners? Uh, on like Discovery or something? Yes. Yes. So not only have I, I've watched them all because for some reason my YouTube algorithm pulled them up and I've watched every clip on YouTube. I love that, that is show. one of my favorite shows of all time. Same. And I'm not sure why. Have, they have like the time. So it's like 1030 AM and they're right. drunk. At like wasted. 10 30 a.m. Yeah, on blueberry and moonshine one eye is like bigger than the other. And they all have like two first names that are like Billy Joe or yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then they're they're and they're out in the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. And, and then they, they still get busted. And they still get busted. But then they they cross cut like the ABC, like the alcohol beverage commission trying to find them. And then they cut to whatever, and they have like the way of signaling to each other. They do like a bird call, like that. And a cop is like, "Hey, do you hear that guy (laughs) trying to sound like a bird? Let's follow that." (laughs) It's one of my favorite shows ever, but it just kind of reminds me of uh, you know what we had to do back in the day. Feeling shady, yeah, yeah, feeling shady. So Uh, I would say, well, quick, quick. Let me just. I am every, every clip I've watched, my reaction is always the same. And I've watched every clip that's on YouTube of that show. My reaction is the same. And it's why are these people on a fucking television show? <laughs> like that's exactly they're right. on a television show on a major illegal. network. Like <laughs> what do you think is going to uh, happen? You know what? I bet, I bet that because they are on the TV show, they have it like all registered and it's like moonshine. And it's like, it's like they yeah, probably right. legally have illegal. to do it. They can't. I mean, can you imagine if we did like a mushrooms or like a show about heroin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Think of the progress we'd make. <laughs> hey, I'm making the best heroin out here in the bayou. <laughs> <laughs> no. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. <laughs> Didn't you hear? Um, so, and then, oh, so, so for me, I didn't really smoke. 
Um, that's my dog. His name is Dash. He's saying hello. Can you hear that or no? I heard him. Okay. Gotcha. I heard Dash. Um, so, so I didn't smoke because I always ran cross country and track. And so for me smoking, to be really honest with you, and this is something that to this day, I still struggle with is I cough. Like I'm mm. a cougher, like I inhale mm. a little bit and I'm coughing for 20 minutes. And it's one of those like visceral, it like, hurts. <laughs> like I can't actually yeah, get, you can't it. catch your breath. And it's embarrassing to be honest. So I normally, when I consume, I do edibles because I feel like that's a, that's a, you don't have to witness me, you know, coughing up whatever for 20 minutes because I'm, have inhaled. So I would say I started to really incorporate, I love edibles. Um, I really love the healing aspect of cannabis. I love it. I, I like to get high occasionally too, mostly when I'm just by myself at, at home, but I really love it just for the the healing aspects of like pain relief is mainly where I incorporate it into my life. Um, and then, yeah, but it's mostly I consume through edibles. So you went through high school, curious, went to Europe, came back, acted on that curiosity. Yeah, I would say there was a good, a good amount of time that I probably acted. I mean, cause I don't think, um, like I'm, I, I'm a kind of a rule follower. You might have, uh, guessed. <laughs> Yeah, all so 10 like, of them, right? The, the 10, 10. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but so it was I actually, think, and I, I guess if you're uh, looking at the Old Testament, it's like 600 something. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. 600 rules in the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. But only 10 yeah. that we needed. We only need 10. Exactly. We consolidated. Um, so for me, like I didn't, I really wanted to respect uh, the laws of the place that I'm in. So like I didn't drink alcohol sure. 21. Um, I didn't. And then, so I waited until like cannabis was legal um, in the state of California. And that's kind of when I consumed. That's a little bit of a lie. That's, that's okay. Lie. I will not, uh, which is one of the 10, by the way, I will remind you, Katie, I know it's been a while for you, but that is one of the 10. It's like the first three or something like that. Um, but I won't hold it against you. Um, I think that's a really interesting, uh, thing you just said though, which is, you know, a bit of a teetotaler, which is adorable, but I think that that's probably not actually uncommon. Right. And probably something as now a cannabis professional that you're banking on that there was this whole, uh, customer base, that didn't exist because they recognized the law, recognized and respected the laws or whatever. Um, and now are, you know, having similar internal questions with themselves or researching things online or watching YouTube video, whatever, like trying to understand cannabis. Um, was that, I mean, do you kind of relate yeah. to that? Yeah. Especially with jobs too. There's a lot of jobs that, that check, um, that do drug, drug testing. So it's like, a, it, not you know, acting though, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> not acting. <laughs> no, they test you for drugs. And if you test positive, that's a good thing. Yeah, they're, they're, you're allowed exactly, into they're, you're hired. <laughs> But it's very funny though, because, um, so I worked at a, I, like a rock and roll hotel in West Hollywood called the Sunset Marquee. And it was super sure. cool because we had a recording studio underneath the hotel. So we got a lot of music industry people. And it also exposed me to a ton of different people from all over the world. And it's so funny because there is kind of, um, LA is a very unique place. And when I live in LA, I think like things have become so normalized to me that are, that are just still simply not normalized in the States. Right. Um, in just like, even, the, you know, there's some places like down South, for example, where, um, I said, Oh, you can go to a dispensary and buy some, some weed. And he, he was like offended that I even suggested that. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, because in his state, it's still illegal and yep. the taboo is very negative. And yep. um, and he was also a police officer. <laughs> so he actually, <laughs> and know, that and that. So. Um, so, yeah, but it, but it's really it's really interesting because because I talk about sex all day, I'm going to school to, be, to become a certified sex educator. Um, I, I talk about cannabis all day, too. I research it like I've now it's so normalized for me to talk about it uh, that I forget that in other places, like even just having the conversation uh, is taboo. Well, this is part of, and I talk about this with almost all of my guests. This is part of the superhero responsibility we all have as cannabis entrepreneurs is that 
there's the cost analysis capitalistic side of me that says, you know, there's a, there's a whole, uh, a whole populace of, of people that could be buying weed from, from cannabis companies. There's that, but there's also the responsibility of getting to those people, which has to be done through purely education. And, and, you know, like, so, you know, that you are recognizing your role in having to normalize not only the conversation about cannabis, but sex, which like, you know, the, the root of every human's shame, you know, the, the, every, every bit of shame that every human has ever felt has probably been rooted in sex in some, it's in some way. Um, the one thing that, uh, you know, there, there's only a couple things that every person does. And one of them is, is sex, you know, like in order to, we all do it. Um, yet it is such a weird thing to talk about, add to it weed, which you also have to normalize. So like, what is that middle ground? Like what percentage of your time are you educating on cannabis versus sex? Or is it, is it all the same to you? Well, it's interesting, right? Cause also educating people as to why cannabis would be beneficial for sex. Cause yeah. a lot of people don't realize that or know, know that. Right. Well, can uh, you, I, I don't know. Like I've, I don't know. Can you, it, yeah, you know, yeah. So it, cannabis is a vasodilator. And basically what that means is like, you know, when you smoke weed and your eyes turn red, um, that's happened once or twice. Um, so, (laughs) so what's happening is the actual size of the blood vessels in your eyes are increasing, which is causing the blood flow to increase. And anytime you have increased blood flow, that's how women have really strong, really intense orgasms. And that's how men get erections. So it's kind of, uh, it's very, very interesting because it's, it's like biological, right? Like it's gonna, there is an onset time of 15 minutes to a half hour. So it's really important to apply the product and then allow that 15 minutes to a half hour for the product to like uh, work, you know, dilate yep. the blood vessels, increase the blood flow. But it, it's it's so cool too, because it also, um, that's if you consume it topically. So for the lubricant, there's actually a vibrator called the Lioness that has sensors on the side that records the pulsing of the vaginal walls during a sexual experience. So for the first time ever, we actually have data on sexual experiences and orgasms and like how long it lasts. It's, it's so fascinating. So um, we actually were able to, um, you know, this green is with an unmedicated lubricant. That's just a water-based lube. And then this is with our Ojai cannabis lube um, after it's been and, left And on. it's recording an intense, the intensity of an orgasm. Exactly, of the vaginal walls. So, so you can see like there's, there's two different times where it gets to be like a hundred in terms of intensity. Wow. Um, so it's really cool because we actually have like data to show like why cannabis works, right? Like what, what, awesome. and, and the thing is, is the green was a great sexual experience. There's nothing wrong with that sexual experience, but there, it just enhances sure. everything, just takes it to the next level. And then if you smoke or um, ingest, we're working on uh, a sex gummy right now. And there's something too, especially when you get high, uh, it relaxes you all over, you know, you know what I mean? Sometimes, um, there's definitely a mental component to a sexual experience. And I think getting high really just gets me out of my head and into my body and relaxes me. So that's great too. So cannabis is super, uh, helpful. We're also working on anal shooters, which I'm really excited about. Anal shooters. Yes. I'm going to need a, I'm going to need a uh, elevator pitch, please. They're going to, it's called, Oh, hello. Mm Mm-hmm. The cannabis, uh, the the vaginal lube. Uh, well, it's not just vaginal, but the the lube is ohi. Oh so we have ohi and oh hello. Um, and uh, what it does is it makes uh, anal sex very pleasurable, and it gets you very high. I love it. Sounds great. It's amazing. Anal shooters might need some work, though. We might have to work on that. You don't like the? the is it too descriptive? Uh, just. It's not what I'm, I'm not seeing, I'm not feeling sexy there. Baby. We're going we're to have to workshop that one. Okay. Luckily okay, I have a whole room full of brilliant, creative <laughs> cannabis marketers. I'll throw it to the crew, the crew and see what they say. Love but it. anal shooters probably need some work. Uh, that sounds like a segment on the old Howard Stern show or something like that. Um, so let's, let's, let's get to Lavinia then. So you know, entrepreneurs, and we mentioned this at the top of the podcast, but entrepreneurs often talk about their profession as being a calling, which is an idiom with roots in religious practice, priests, nuns, et cetera. They often talk about being called by God uh, to the cloth, right? Medical professionals use it in a similar way. 
Um, as a person who's experienced both of these things, um, what what finally pushed you to uh, Lavinia being that that path? Like, how did you know that that was the thing that you needed to start doing? I was just doing it as an act of love. So I was making lube in my kitchen just for myself. And I would give it to people that I worked with and I would bring it to the, to the bar and I would just be like, Oh, you know, just, just giving it away. And it wasn't until a stranger came up to me and was like, Hey, are you the weed lube girl? And I was like, yep, I am. That's the label I've been wanting this whole time. <laughs> and I was it's like, not been I sister. Am. I don't want to be sister. And right. I want to be the weed lube girl. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was like, yeah, I am. And I was also like weirded out, right? Because I didn't realize like that that was my identity to strangers. Interesting. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, totally. And yeah. he was like, hey, can yeah. I get some of that? And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. And he's like, I'll buy it from you. And as soon as he said, I'll buy it from you, something in my brain clicked because I was and I gave it to him for free just be, sure. as an act of love. Right. But as soon as he said, I'll buy it from you, I was like, oh, I wonder how many other people would buy this. And then I was like. And it kind of from there, that's when it really started to, to uh, like the seed in my head of this becoming a company really was planted. It's always a stranger. Always. Like, that's, and that's the best true. kind of feedback because they don't care about you at all. They're not, no. they don't care about your feelings. They just want like, oh, you're the weed lube girl. Like, give it to me. Um, yeah. I mean, I built this whole company, my whole company on strangers too. It's like, you know, the validation of strangers is so much more valuable to me. And I don't know why than anything else, you know, it really is. I just think that there's a fearlessness there that they'll just tell you what's on their mind yeah. because they'll never talk to you ever again, maybe. Yep. Amen. Um, so high risk, we talked about this a little bit earlier. It's, it is a financial category for um, companies that you know, uh, payment processors, financial processing institutions, they'll put companies in. So, uh, gambling, uh, is one online gambling, uh, CBD is one, uh, cannabis for sure is one. In fact, it's, it's not even one because it's federally illegal. Um, uh, porn is one, um, glass shops, like all of these verticals that, uh, may fall into the socially taboo, but things that everybody on the planet wants and wants to do um, are categorized as high risk. So you took two things that were high risk and decided to combine them to make an almost like uh, Voltron. You know, mm -hmm. you took all these robots and put them together to make a bigger, more powerful higher risk robot. Uh, so I'm curious about kind of rationalizing that and, you know, what you thought the risk reward was going to be, because the other side of this is this, this product category, while it exists, right? Like there's other products. Uh, there's a brand. I can only think of one brand it's called, uh, in California, I think it's called Quim. I don't know if they're still available. Um, but I remember seeing them years ago. Um, but regardless, like the other side of this is getting into the space, right? You have to be on the shelves up against all these other products. I would, I would, I would assume very rarely do people walk into dispensaries to find sexual lubricant. They go in to find edibles or, you know, consumable products. So I'm curious about rationalizing, like how you knew uh, combining these two high risk things were going to be um, the right way, especially given that it was going to be hard for you to battle for shelf space. I think a part of it was a tremendous amount of ignorance. I didn't, it's I didn't bliss. quite know how, what, what's, what did you say? It's bliss. Bliss. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is. Um, I didn't quite realize how difficult it would be. Um, and it's difficult on so many levels. People don't traditionally go to dispensaries to buy a lubricant as you're right. saying. Yeah. Like um, they go to buy whatever. So we've taken a lot of um, resources in our company to try to educate consumers on the spot with like PADs and try to to try to tell people um, about the product. Again, why does why cannabis enhances the experience so much? Um, but then also it's hard too because our target customer is any sexually. Uh, open person, right? Man or woman. This product is great for for men to use it anally product is great for women. And, um, but those customers might not be shopping in dispensaries, you know? So it's also about like, it, it's just 
challenge upon challenge upon challenge upon challenge, yeah. you know, and, and the, the real hard part is advertising. Like we re, it's really difficult because we can't do any traditional routes, even on like Instagram or social media. Like we've had influencers that have been like, I'm really nervous about getting like porn stars that are like, I'm, intru- I'm, I'm, I'm scared about getting taken down. Um, and so it's just that, that for me is the really sad very hard part about um yeah. that we're kind of still there where it's really stigmatized a lot of um sex companies have this issue too with like vibrators and stuff yeah. and um uh i looked at one so the lioness was really interesting what they did for advertising is they read customer reviews um of like people experiencing the product and having a really great experience was which was kind of a nice way of like getting around it yeah, but to be honest like that's service yeah, exactly. That's that's something to this day that is still a challenge. Um, and it, it really saddens me because there's so many people that would benefit from this product, but it's so difficult uh, that they might yeah. not know about it, you know? It's an unfortunate leveling of the playing field that we all even, you know, even can of planners, like, you know, we don't professionally touch the plant. We uh, successfully unprofessionally touch it. Um, <laughs> but um, we're, a, a, you know, a creative and digital agency, you know, that, that's what, that's our <laughs> description with the state. Um, but we run into the same things day in and day out. And I think, um, one of the things, because we do tons of marketing, obviously on behalf of our, um, clients making cannabis CPGs, um, and uh, you're right, education and basic, and also I might add a way, another way to circumvent, um, the terms of service specifically for Google and things like that is through educational content. Um, that stuff you can pay them for all the live long day and, you know, create a higher top of funnel traffic, uh, top of your uh, sales funnel, uh, by sending people to an educational site that then drives them to your website where they can find out how to buy your product. But, um, they are, like I said, it's an unfortunate leveling of the playing field. So, and, and also I might add not even the, worst one like you're not even the biggest pain in the butt for people operating in this space so given that this is still relatively a, a pretty new thing for you and you're met you're being met with these you know challenges that are coming from not only having a, a sex product but also a cannabis product like how do you how do you keep up op- how do you stay optimistic how do you know that you're on the right path so we're actually working on a hemp line um cbd is a great uh, normalizer or eat oh of cannabis. Yes, it, absolutely. Because like old school, it's very funny. My mom is, is 78. What's that? Diet cannabis. Diet cannabis. That is, that's beautiful. I love that. It is diet cannabis and it normalizes it for people because people in the older generation or people where it's really taboo, they use it for pain and for pain management. Yes. And it works. And so all of a sudden, the, their stigma of it starts to go down. So they might, the marijuana might still have a really negative stereotype, but CBD, they don't associate with marijuana, right? Like they don't associate that they're even together or anything, you know, associated in any way. And so that's kind of been a great introductory to having people that maybe wouldn't normally have conversations about CBD that experience a lot of pain. And then once you start, once you start using it and you realize how effective it is. And uh, I think people become a little bit more open to using cannabis as well, or at least talking about cannabis. But um, so that will help a lot just in terms of distribution. Cause right now we're only available in dispensaries in the state of California, um, which is just so limiting. Right. And the yeah. thing is, is if you expand to other States, very, very costly because you have to adhere to that state's guidelines of cannabis. You have to then distribute completely different distribution networks. And the really hard part too with cannabis is that kind of every shop is a mom and pop shop, right? So you you physically as the brand have to go into every single different store and get with that store. The good thing is, is we're able to get into stores very quickly and very easily because we are such a niche product. There's not too yeah. many products like it. We're the only silicone-based one, right? So we're able to get into those dispensaries very quickly, but our sell-through is a little slow. And that's what we're actively working on is trying to educate people that brand the product's awareness. there. Exactly, brand awareness. Um, and what will be tremendously helpful is when we do expand to have our hemp line, then we can start to advertise in some of the more normal routes of advertising. Totally. Yeah. We're just, I mean, for our clients, um, 
you know, we work with lots of dispensaries and lots of uh, retail brands and our advice and the services we undertake on behalf of our clients are, are solely educationally driven. So creating, you know, SEO optimized content that will help uh, a person understand the differences between whatever kinds of products or whatever it is. I mean, we, we make thousands of blog posts a year, but, um, and it, and it ranges all over the spectrum, but they're all educational, right? They're all, you know, none of them are gratifying, you know, over gratifying uh, anything in particular, but they're trying to uh, tap into a new market because beyond like keyword research and data and nerdy shit like that, like there's still a whole populace of this country. I said it before, I'll say it again. There's a whole populace of the country that, uh, you know, do did buy into the stigma, don't understand the healing powers of cannabis, aren't open to being receptive to that. Um, and you know, those are a lot of nuts to crack, you know. Um, no pun intended for the topics of this conversation, but um it's a huge market that's that's available out there. And the only way you're gonna get that are by convincing them that cannabis isn't is not the devil's lettuce. It's the so, Lord's lettuce. It sure is. It sure the is. Lord's, I'm trying to think of something. What's it's the Lord's. I don't know. I'm going to work on no. that. We'll, that. Well, you know what? Let's Devil's put this lettuce. out to the internet. We'll, we'll make this a clip. So <laughs> we've got uh devil's lettuce put in the comments below. Uh, if you're watching this, listening, comment below on, on kind of a Jesus positive non devil weed thing we can use there instead of devil's lettuce. Um, <laughs> Tell me about some of the early. God's goodness. Just, there you go. I like that. God's ganja. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, this is, I got the marketing brain. Now I won't stop. I'll, like we'll be having a conversation. I'll be like, excuse me. And I'll <laughs> rattle off 20 more. Um, what are some of the challenges you're most proud of working through in, in the, these early days of building your company? I mean, everything. Everything is a challenge. Good. This is such a new it's mo some uh, brands add a sexual based product kind of as like as a one off right our whole goal of our company our whole focus is to enhance people's sex life through cannabis so we're literally kind of creating a new lane uh, a lot of bud tenders will say people will come you know for a product and be like hey do you have anything for sex and it's still like that kind of whisper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even with bud tenders too, sometimes the difficulty is like bud tenders find it uncomfortable to talk about our product, of course. which is, which is difficult. Right. <laughs> um, so that is the whole goal and focus of our company is just to enhance people's sex life through canvas. I love it. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, wonderful mission to be on. It's certainly a different one than you started. Um, so Take us through the next year for Lavinia. What do you, what are your hopes? What are your dreams? What are you trying to accomplish in 2023? Besides, in addition to uh, anal shooters. That, is that? When you say it like that, I get I know. it. Like, here's the thing is I, I couldn't oh, remember hello. if that's what it was. And I wanted to say like something, <laughs> something else almost came out. <laughs> so that face was just me making sure I said the right thing. <laughs> Anal shooters. Well, anal, it, it, uh, so yes. So our whole goal is to enhance people's sex life. Uh, we have sex gummies that hopefully will be available in February um, for Valentine's Day. Um, we currently have the lubricant available, available at silicone base, which is great because it's great for both vaginal and anal use. It's condom compatible. It doesn't affect your pH. It's amazing. Um, and then we have the shooters. The anal ones. <laughs> um, they should be available in June or July. Uh, and then, and then, you know, we, we are in R and D we're constantly, I mean, we spend a year and a half in R and D for, our, uh, for the formula that we currently use. So we really like science and we really like to have a scientific base. Um, you know, scientific experience is so hard to quantify. There's so many different factors, but we try to mitigate all those factors and have like a great sexual experience. And so, um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where we're headed. And then we also are working on a hemp lubricant as well. You got a lot in store this year. Um, R&D, creating new products, breaking into existing markets with new products. It's going to be an exciting year for you. It's going to be a lot of work. Katie Enright, you've taken us from the nunnery to the funnery, from Sister Act to Sex Act. 
We're all very grateful you found a way more fun way to do the Lord's work. You've been an incredible guest today. We wish you the absolute best. Please tell our guests where they can learn more about you and your company. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Olavinia.com is our website. And then you can find us on Instagram at O.Lavinia. Um, and we're actually working on a YouTube channel for uh, educational based content. So how to how Great. to make cannabis products at home. And then also uh, a big part of our com- uh, company is sexual education. So um, we are also working on some platforms to educate people about awesome. how to have amazing, empowered sexual experiences. I'm in. If you need a guinea pig, whatever, you have my email. I'll give you my cell phone. Uh, I'll give you my other cell phone too. Um, Please call me. Uh, Thanks so much for being on the show today. This has been another episode of Common Sense Media. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, smash that notification bell. I've been your host, Will Reed. Peace out. (laughs) 